Okay, good morning, one and all. For those of you who are regulars at Oasis, you'll know that we're in a series uh, in the book of James that we've entitled Living Faith. For those of you who are guests around us today, uh, you're about to find all about it. We've entitled this series Living Faith as we recognize that those of us who put our faith and trust in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection have ultimately said that what we've got is a faith in a living God. And that faith and trust in a living God, we're understanding, is then going to shape how our lives look. And what we're discovering is through this book of James, some of the practical ways James outlines that actually putting our faith and trust in Jesus actually impacts and changes how we live out our lives. And this morning we're going to discover how it kind of shapes our life in respect to how we deal with others, how we live as those that are centered around Jesus, ensuring that we're not biased, that we live unbiased lives. And so if you've got a Bible, I wonder if I could get you to turn to James chapter 2. If you haven't got a Bible, it'll appear on the screens behind me. And we're just going to read uh, James chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. This is what James writes. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special treatment to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen. My dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are governed who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What we discover week on week is that James isn't someone who mixes his words. He doesn't tend to flower it up. He tends to hit us quite hard. And um, you can read these things, and if you're very wealthy here at this point, you're thinking, man, is the going to be pointing at me. Uh, If you're here thinking, man, how am I judging other people? Am I going to be judged at this point in time? Uh, Please rest assured that's not what's going to happen. Rather, what I'm hoping is we're going to go on a bit of a journey, a bit of a journey to discover that actually for us to get hold of all that James is saying in his rather punchy way, it needs to start with us as individuals. And in it starting with us as individuals, we're going to find that it then shapes who we become as a community and who we live out as a community. As always, we're going to discover that it isn't going to be something that we're trying to bolt on on the exterior of our lives, but rather that there's a challenge into the very core of who we are. So to start off the journey, where we need to start off with is a chair. 
that's how James starts. He kind of tells this story, a story that was probably uh, one out of his own imagination, but really was pinning the point of something that was going on in the church communities that he's writing to. And what he was saying is, when you get together, who gets the chair? Who gets the chair when you get someone new coming in? I'm not talking about like one of the blue chairs. I'm talking about like one of these sort of chairs, a high leather-backed chair, one that looks quite cool. You think, man, someone who sits in there is where it's at. (laughs) It's like higher than everyone else. So who gets the chair? And James tells this story, and he says, well, let's say there's two people who come in. One of them's a wealthy person. You can tell he's wealthy because he's dressed in really nice clothes. In that day and age, if you were dressed in really nice clothes, it meant that you had more than one outfit, which meant that you were pretty wealthy. Not only did he have more than one outfit because he's dressed in nice clothes, he also had a gold ring on. If you've got a gold ring on, it shows that you're someone of importance. So first of all, there's this individual that comes in and is a guest, and you can tell as soon as he walks through the door, this is someone of wealth, someone of importance. And then James says, then there's this other individual, another guy who walks in. This guy smells. You can tell he smells before you get up to him because he's wearing the same clothes he always wears. They're a bit shabby. He hasn't washed. And you can see that they're not clean because he can't afford more than one outfit because he's not wealthy. He's someone in need. He's poor. Who gets the chair? James says, well, in this story... Actually, what we find out is in this community, who gets the chair is the wealthy person. The wealthy person, all his finery, his gold ring, he gets to get to sit on the chair. The guy who smells, whose clothes don't look quite right, who's poor, at best he can stand at the back. At worst, he gets to sit at your feet. And James is kind of straight away into the issue. He tells this story to make everyone feel a bit uncomfortable. I think, man, who would I give the chair to? How would I judge someone in how they look? And he tells the story, and he tells the story in order that he says, actually, there's a point here, that if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're someone who said that Jesus is at the center of who you are, you don't get to have favorites. There's no favoritism. He writes this in verse 1, My brothers and sisters, believers in our Lord, uh, glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. That word favoritism is, uh, could be better translated as partiality. You mustn't be partial to anyone. That sense of judging someone by how they look or what they say. And James says, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can't have that in your thinking anymore. That can't be in your behavior anymore. Now, for the churches that James was writing to, that it was literally in terms of how they were handling people who were wealthy and how they were handling people who were poor. For us, it can often be a bit different. For us, there's still that challenge of are we those that live with favoritism? Do we live with that sense of uh, partiality? Of when we meet someone, when we see someone, and we're looking at them, both in what they say and what they do, that we start to think through, how are they going to reflect on me? What can I gain from them? Maybe it's not in terms of wealth. Maybe it's in terms of their social background. Maybe it's in terms of their education. Maybe it is literally in terms of where the way they dress. 
You know, often in a setting like ours where it seems as though let's have a competition of who can dress the most informal, that if someone dresses formally, everyone like thinks, man, what's up with him? Man, I nearly wore a suit today just to kind of make the point because I knew if I wore a suit, everyone would be thinking, what is up with Adrian today? <laughs> because like it or not, we have moments where when we see someone, when we hear what they say, maybe it's their political viewpoints. Maybe it's their attitude towards others. Maybe it's what they've done. Maybe it's their gender. Maybe it's the, their kind of job that they're doing. Maybe it's the fact they've not got a job. Maybe it's the, they're in recovery. Maybe it's the fact that we think they should be in recovery. That we need to be careful, James is saying, that we don't show favoritism, that we aren't partial in how we treat people, both as we gather together, but as also in how we live out our lives individually. You know, it isn't about who gets the chair. <laughs> you see, James wants to get to the root here. So he kind of says, why is this important? Why is it important that we live not partially? He says this, why? If we go to the next slide. Will help me because it will then maybe, maybe, there we go. Otherwise, I, I can't memorize all the scriptures. Here we go. Love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. James is basically saying this isn't just a way of kind of living, of, of looking like you're nice. Why this is an issue, why who gets the chair is an issue, why how you treat people is an issue is because actually it's part of a much bigger picture. It's about who you are as an individual now centered around Jesus. The part of who you are now is centered around Jesus is one who's seeking to live as he wants you to live. Why? Because not out of duty, but out of an understanding of he's got your best in, at heart. And what Jesus wants you to do is he wants you to live loving all. Loving all as you love yourself. Now, at that point, you could pause and say, oh, but you don't understand, Adrian, that, that you've got to understand how I see myself. Well, today, unfortunately, we haven't got time to look at all of that and unpack it. But what Jesus is ultimately saying is, if you're a follower of him, regardless of how you feel about yourself, ultimately, you understand that you're loved by God unconditionally. And because you're loved unconditionally by God, we're to be those that then love who God loves, and God loves everyone. And you see, Jesus said, you know, we're to love everyone. And therefore, if we're living, seeking to be partial to some, to favor some, actually what that does is it, it's against what Jesus is about, what the life is that Jesus has called us to. And so James doesn't pull any punches. He said, oh, that's sin. <laughs> that word that we don't really like talking about. That's you living outside of what God's got for your best. But it isn't just that. That's enough, isn't it? You're living outside of what God's best is for you. But it's also the understanding that if you start to live, if we start to live partially towards people, it causes us to break the image of the God that we're trying to reveal. Because the reality is this. God doesn't have favorites. 
God loves everyone. That's the story of the Bible, that God loves everyone. And therefore, if we're those that then seek to be partial towards people, what we're revealing is, is not God. Because God's heart is one that seeks to love everyone. And so if we're choosing to say, actually, oh yeah, those ones, they seem acceptable to us. I can see how that's going to reflect well on me. But, but if I hang out with them, if they're seen around me, if I speak to them, what are people going to think of me? And James says, no, no, this isn't how we've got to live. We live this understanding that we love all. We deal with everyone the same. Why? Because that's how God deals with us. See, at this point, we could then say, well, okay, so what it looks like then is I just need to be nice to people. Whoever they are, just be nice to them. And when we ever we gather, we'll just make sure that we're the kind of community that whoever they are, when they come through the door, we'll just say, hi, it's really nice to see you. Sorted, Adrian. In actual fact, we'll kind of have loads of free chairs around, and we'll ensure that there's always a chair for everyone. No one will ever have to sit at our feet. In actual fact, we'll go one step further. If we haven't got a chair for them, we'll sit at their feet, because then we've done it. But that's not the point. The point isn't just an outward change. James isn't into just an outward change. He wants to deal with us in the inside. As Jesus always spoke about that, Jesus wants to change us from the inside in order that it affects our outside. See, for us to live ensuring that who sits on the chair doesn't matter, everyone can. We need to start with us of understanding who we are. And in understanding who we are, what we get to then see is how we're then able to treat everyone the same, no matter what. Because who we are is ultimately like this. We're just like empty beakers, empty glasses. Why? Well, this is what James says, and then we'll build a bit on it. James says this in verse 5. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? See, for James, if he wants to get... the Believers at that point that he's writing to his attention in understanding like how they're acting is totally contrary to who they are. He reminds them about who they are. Now, there's a practical outworking first. As many of them that have believed in Jesus, said Jesus at the center of my life, had actually come from a place of poverty. In the early church, there weren't lots of wealthy people, people of influence. Paul writes about that in Corinthians. Many of them were people the world saw as, as people to just pass by. And what had happened here is that people who knew what it was to be in need actually were now in a situation where they were treating people like them differently. <laughs> Saying, actually, I'm not going to prefer you. I'm going I'm to prefer this other person because they're wealthy and they could have influence. And James kind of goes to this point and, and speaks specifically to this situation and says, man, don't you understand that in the time and age I'm writing to you, that there is a small proportion of wealthy people. And what they're doing is exploiting everyone who doesn't have wealth. And so you're doing something where you're seeking to honor more those that are exploiting you than seeking to just love everyone the same, including those that are just like you. What he's saying is, doesn't that sound a bit crazy? But you see, in this 
way of James speaking, he's actually bringing out a greater truth. A greater truth that he'd seen Jesus speak of. A greater truth that he wanted them as followers of Jesus to get hold of. Because this wasn't just limited to a sense of how much material wealth you'd got. Actually, he wanted us to understand that this was a statement of how God deals with people in poverty to give them unbelievable riches. That's actually true for everyone. That if we can get hold of that, actually it will cause us to never live with partiality ever again. Because we'll suddenly realize that in understanding this, it causes us to understand that we're all in the same boat. Whether we're the, the Queen of England or someone that no one notices who everyone walks past because they're sleeping rough on the street, everyone's in the same boat. See, Jesus said this in Matthew 5, verse 3. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. James uses these words and builds something of his own. He says, actually, you want to understand that, that God chooses and responds to those who are poor in order that they'd inherit everything that he has in his kingdom. It's exactly what Jesus puts most congratulated, blessed are those that are poor in spirit, those who've realized their own poverty for theirs is everything that God has to give them in his kingdom. See, Jesus, what he does when he says this is he suddenly throws the door open for us understanding what poverty truly is and the fact that all of us without him are poor. Which just brings us back to the empty glass because the reality is this, that you and I, in ourselves, are left empty. Now, at this point in time, you can think, I, I'm not sure, Adrian. Let's just personify it. Let's just talk about me then. Let's not worry about you. Let's talk about Adrian Hurst contained in a glass. Here it is, empty. I can guarantee you that. Why? Well, let's look at Adrian Hurst. Let's look at me. Sorry, I'm talking in third person. It's always a bit weird when I do that. Let's talk about me in a glass, my life. Let's talk about me faced up to who God is. God who is perfect. Man, <laughs> that's enough. God who's perfect, like has no imperfection in him. Father, Son, and Spirit is perfect in love is perfect in justice, is perfect in righteousness. In other words, is right all the time, and whatever he seeks to do is right. Is perfect in mercy. Is perfect in peace. Is per are you getting a picture? Is perfect. You know, when God describes himself, he describes himself as light. Why? Because light can only be light. It's just pure. Here's the deal. Me, compared to God who's perfect, I fall short. I can guarantee you that. I, I do not match up to that. Now, at this point in time, you can think, oh, man, don't be so hard on yourself. And you're doing all right. You know, you, you kind of lead a church. You must be okay. <laughs> no, no, those are the ones you need to watch. Um, I joke. There's, but, you know, you, you seem okay. Yeah, but follow me around, honestly, for four hours. Follow me around for an hour. And you'll discover someone who is not perfect. 
And the deal is, when you're dealing with someone who is perfect, you either are or you aren't. And the deal is, I'm not. And so I'm left empty. I'm left knowing that I fall short. But you see, I'm also not only left knowing that I fall short, I also know that I need. I know that I need satisfaction. I don't mean some kind of cheesy song. I mean that I know that deep down, there's often this desire for more. More of what we looked at last week, and I don't want to repeat everything, but more in terms of the, the fact of, I know that I, I want more in terms of comfort. <laughs> I want more in terms of peace. I want more in terms of possessions. I want more in terms of relational fulfillment. I know there's something in me that just hungers and craves for more. And the thing is, however much stuff I get and however much stuff I've got around my life, my life, I still know I need more, and I still know that I'm still like an empty cup. That however much I'm pouring in, it just feels like it's not filling. See, that desire of need, particularly a need for comfort, that need to understand that, that I'm loved and, underst- and understood. Man, I, I just know that I, I crave that. And however good I've got in terms of the family around me, I know they're just human. And they're not going to fulfill what ultimately I'm looking for. See, the tragic news is this. When it's down to just me, I'm just as good as that. I'm empty. Completely empty. I can dress it up. I can make the cup look really nice. I can promise you that. Much nicer than that. I can make the cup look like something that other people really want. But inside, ultimately, I know it's empty. Let's switch it so it just isn't a group counseling session for me. (laughs) The uncomfortable truth is this. What's true for me, I think, is true for you. If we're really honest, everything I've just said about me, you could say about you. And this is the point that Jesus always wants everyone to get to. To understand that it's to be congratulated when you get to the point that you understand that you're poor in spirit. It's to be congratulated when you get to the point of understanding that however much stuff you do, however much stuff you do to seek to dress the cup up, ultimately down to your own efforts, down to your own abilities, down to your own wants, you're just going to be left empty. So much so that you just say, actually, you know, Jesus, when I look at who you are and I look at who I am, I realize that I'm just empty. I'm just poor. And it's at that point the best news happens. And it's until we reach the point of understanding that our life is empty that we can never ever taste the best news. Because it's the point at which we realize that our life is empty. We suddenly realize the one who we fall short of is the one who can actually fill everything. And this is the point, that the point of desperation, we get to this moment of understanding that we get to cry out to God to come and fill our emptiness. And the amazing news is this, 
God will always say, mercy triumphs over judgment. God will never see when we get to the point of empty cup scenario, saying, God, this is who I am, I'm just an empty cup. So yeah, I knew that. Judgment. You are empty. Done. That says, no, that's never the finished story. The story finishes because God says, no, I sent my son to deal with this. His life, death, and resurrection was in order that you could then know mercy out of my love. That actually you would know that your life isn't empty, but is one that can be filled. Filled so we know we don't fall short. That who God is is perfection. Jesus comes in his life, death, and resurrection and bridges the gap. That's the amazing news. Man, I never grow tired of hearing this, that I fell short, I was empty, I am still empty, but it's because of Jesus. And Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, deals with my falling short of who God is and takes me to who God is and presents me to Father, Son, and Spirit in himself, Jesus. And says, now you're like me. You're right like me. So I don't fall short. But it's also that every need I have is satisfied in God. Everything that I could ever hunger, everything I could ever thirst for, ultimately is found and nourished in who God is. And for my deepest desire for comfort, that I can look for in so many different ways, is ultimately found in the fact that God loves me unconditionally, accepts me unconditionally. And therefore, at that point, as I understand that, I realize my life is as full as it could ever be. Because I'm fully secure. My identity is found in the fact that God who created everything loves me. And the thing is, it just tastes really good. (laughs) I'm not going to down it because I would burp afterwards. There's There's a point though, right? In understanding that I was empty, in understanding that in my emptiness, the promise is that as I realize that and call out to God, would you come in your mercy and fill me? And understanding that God will then come and fill us, because that's what Jesus promised. Blessed are those who pour in spirit. Why? Because they get the kingdom. In other words, they get the life that I get to offer. A life full of peace, a life full of comfort, a life full of joy, a life full of forgiveness, a life full of hope, a life full of justice, a life full of mercy, a life full of righteousness. That's what they get. That's a pretty good cupful. But the thing is, and the thing I get concerned about, is that we take a drink and we think that's good. But we think, man, at some point, the glass is only half full. Or maybe you're one of those people who says, the glass is now half empty. The point isn't about the amount at that point. The point is that we get to the point of saying, do you know what? It is half full. Or do you know what? It is half empty. I'm not going to live with that. 
Because why? Because I know what it was like to live with an empty cup. I also know what it was like to taste when the cup was full. Therefore, I come back and I say, God, do you know what? It feels half empty. It feels half full. And God responds and he fills us again. Because why? Mercy always triumphs over judgment. It's never going to get to a point saying, you've had your deal. You've had enough. You've got to now live with the bit. You've got to ration it out till I finally meet you. No, this is a moment-by-moment occurrence. You know what? I have to drink all the time. Why? Because I'm a feeble, broken guy. And I genuinely have to live my life saying, God, without you, I'm empty. God, would you give me my, your mercy now for this moment? And I drink. And then I come back and I say, God, would you come and fill me again with your mercy? Have we got into living with half full, half empty mentality? Do we need to start living moment by moment saying, I drink, I ask? Because God says, mercy triumphs over judgment. And the thing is, as we live this way, it will change us. It will change us how we treat others. That's the point, wasn't it? It was all about the chair, wasn't it? Because suddenly we realize that all we have to do is reveal who we are. I and someone who's way better off than I should ever be. (laughs) That's the truth. I just get to live as one who carries around saying, I've got a cup that's full that's nothing to do with me. It's all to do with God who's just incredibly merciful to me, not because I'm anything special, because he loves everyone. And so I get to live my life around other people, pointing to the one who's had mercy to me. And then I get to treat others and think, do you know what? You're the same as me. If you've not got Jesus at the center, if you have got Jesus at the center, you've come to realize. If you haven't, I want you to realize that actually your life is empty without him. And yet he can fill it. And therefore we don't live judging people. We don't live with partiality. We don't live biased lives. We rather live completely unbiased because we think everyone's empty without him. Everyone needs him. Therefore, let's ensure that everyone can come. And find him. Now at this point, some of you are freaking out, saying, are you saying that there's this cup of water that's going to be like Jesus? I'm, don't get too tied on the cup of water. The point's this. That actually, we never treat anyone any differently to anyone else. Because we realize that at the bare bones, all of us are in the same boat. We all need mercy. And therefore, what we get to do is offer it and just simply say, would you like a drink? So how are we going to respond? What do we need to do? I'd say, and I hope there's three ways that we'll respond this morning. The first one is this. Are we going to be those that realize Maybe it's for the first time, maybe it's for the the hundredth time of just getting to that point of realization that without you, God, I'm empty. And I just need you. And that in us realizing that, that we then receive. 
We receive from God his mercy that's new every day. God doesn't come just to do that in our heads. He comes and sends his Holy Spirit to live within us. So it's well up from within. God as Holy Spirit welling up from within in order that we'd receive and understand his mercy for us now, today. And as we realize, as we receive it, it's then we get to be those that then offer. We get to be this community that seek to say, man, everyone's welcome because we want everyone to taste and see the mercy that's in offer. Should we stand? Just while we stand, Pete is just going to come up and set some things up behind me. We're just going to finish, actually. I'm going to pray for us, then we're just going to finish by singing a song. So I just felt like it would be a good way of landing and knowing that we've finished. But it's a song that I'm hoping we're going to be able to use to just... Um, respond to everything we hear and it's this song called Majesty where basically it just speaks of and it allows us to give voice to what's going on inside of us it just gives voice to saying actually do you know what I come before you Jesus who is king empty handed I don't bring anything to the party but I recognize in you I gain and get everything I just think that'd be a great way for us to finish this morning. I wonder if I could just pray for us before we get there. If you want to just close your eyes. God, I don't know where every person in this room's at, but you do. God, you know exactly where we're at. You know where those of us that know what it is to be centered around you. God, you know those of us who are just trying to work out where you fit. God, but I thank you that actually all of us come in the same point as empty without you and needing more of you. And I pray, God, for those of us who know you and are centered around you, I pray, Jesus, would you cause us to be those that live daily, coming to you, saying, God, would you give me everything for this next moment? And I pray, God, as we live that way, I pray, would you cause us then to be generous in how we reveal your mercy to others? I pray it would never be said of us that we show partiality. I pray that there will be a continual sense of welcoming and revealing of mercy. And I pray, God, for those of us who are yet to find you at the center of who we are, are yet to say, yeah, Jesus, we want our lives to be built around you. I pray, would you cause us to see that the emptiness that we can sometimes feel can only be fulfilled and satisfied in you. Ask this for your glory, Jesus. Amen. Okay, let's sing this song to finish. Covered by the blood of the 
Okay, we're going to kind of end here, but I would just want to encourage you that if you've come this morning and you feel like actually, I know what it is to just feel empty. I just think for some of us, we're specifically coming that way. And we just know that it should be great at this moment to have some other people stand with us and pray for us. That we know that together we're just saying, God, I just need your mercy. I want to encourage you at the moment we're going to end and others are going to go and grab a tea of coffee. While they go to the back and do that, you just come to the front. There'll be some people here ready to pray for you. Maybe you've come and just thought, actually, I'd love just to get prayed for. Maybe it is you need healing. Maybe it's that uh, there's just stuff going on. Maybe you just love someone else to just stand with you to pray. We've got other people going to be here just to pray for you for that. Many of you, though, have got kids and you know that you've got to go and collect your kids. So I'd say if you want to get prayed for and you've got kids, why don't you get someone who can collect your kids to do that? Otherwise, the rest of us, go and get kids if you've got them. If you haven't, as I've all said, don't get them. Uh, go and grab yourself a tea and coffee. Come forward for prayer. We've ended. Thank you. <laughs>